This is the Future of Security Operations podcast brought to you by Tynes. This show is dedicated to empowering SecOps leaders to reimagine how their teams work so they can scale their security efforts and build a team that achieves more with less. In each episode, we'll learn from a security leader who has found a way to free their team from tedious manual tasks and remove the barriers that are preventing them from doing high value strategic work that truly matters. We'll learn from their mistakes, distill their best practices, and leave you with actionable insights that you can immediately put to work with your team. I'm your host, Thomas Kinsler, COO and co-founder of Tynes. Now, let's jump right into today's show. Hi, everyone. This week, I'm delighted to be joined on the Future of Security Operations podcast by Rebecca Harness, VP and Chief Information Security Officer at QuickPace, a no-code database and application development platform that enables anyone to build, iterate, and integrate their applications. Rebecca has 25 years of experience in IT and over 12 years of experience in security specifically. Over her career, she's launched two of her own companies, led numerous cybersecurity teams through the challenges of supporting cloud-first digital transformation strategies and more. She's a board member of ISACA St. Louis. And on top of that, she's a Master of Science in Information Security Engineering. Rebecca, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you very much. I'm, uh, I'm really happy to be here. And um, before we get started, you've got a super interesting background. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about your journey so far to becoming the CISO of QuickBase? Yeah, it's uh, it's 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 been a long winding path, right? You know, it's uh, I've had lots of uh, interesting experiences in my career, and I'm I'm very thankful for that. Um, you know, really, I, I like to like go all the way back, and you know, I started my career in IT back in the '90s when you know if you could spell IT, you could get a job in IT. So it was uh, pretty straightforward. And uh, you know, in 2001, I had just come off of a uh, consulting gig. I think it was a lead systems engineer or something like that on a, on a big implementation project. Um, and I, I decided to start my own company. It was it was a good time to do so. I, I felt like I had something unique to add in, in providing uh, you know, managed services to small businesses in the St. Louis area. Uh, started out by marketing with, with postcards, because that's how we did it in those days. Sent out these uh, these postcards to you know a few hundred small businesses. And uh, it just snowballed. It was like one of those things where it was just the right time, you know, in the marketplace. Everybody was struggling with Windows 98 and and, and Windows 2000 and stuff like that. And businesses just needed help. So, uh, you know, over nine and a half years, I built a, a pretty decent sized company, you know, and uh, at, the, at the point that I sold my interest, we had over 30 employees, we had uh, nearly 200 customers here in the St. Louis area. And uh, it was a, a great experience. But it was also an experience that taught me a lot about security, because we were doing everything for these small businesses. So when you think about, you know, phishing protections, which back then was, you know, spam filtering, firewalls, uh, you know, setting up messaging servers, websites, you know, anything a small business might need to do. And of course, security is kind of baked into that. I went from there to go work in, in the enterprise space for a, uh, a huge data center provider that was at the time based here in St. Louis, uh, Savas, which then became CenturyLink, which then became Lumen, I believe. What a, what a great industry. And that just kind of led me, you know, into the enterprise space and, and learning more about like real business needs for security. We have another large company based here in St. Louis Enterprise. And in six and a half years there, that was like a masterclass in, in, in large scale. You know, how do you secure a global environment with such a large retail presence? Just interesting things. When I left enterprise, I did consulting for a couple of years, and um, that led me into, uh, again, better opportunities and presenting to uh, senior management and boards and uh, landed me my first CISO gig at St. Louis University. And that was a great two and a half years. And from there, uh, went on. COVID kind of opened up the CISO world to me to, you know, well beyond St. Louis. 
And so I uh, had an opportunity with QuickBase in, in Boston, and that's been, it's been a fantastic experience. You've definitely run the gamut enterprise, uh, like I suppose the state and local ed, um, yeah, starting your own business, running an MSPs oh, yeah. and now in a, now in a fast growing startup. It's a pretty awesome set of experiences. I'd love to like go back to the very start just for, for a minute. Like what, what was it that attracted you to security in the first place? Why did you say like, actually, this is an area for me. This is something that I want to, I want to dive into, or is it that it's an area for you? Yeah, you know, that's the funny thing is for the longest time, it was just part of my job as an IT professional, um, you know, a systems engineer that was, you know, highly focused on the Microsoft stack. In fact, when I applied at Enterprise, it was really a job in the messaging space. They were looking for a messaging architect. And that was a um, kind of a specialty of mine, although I was mostly a generalist. Messaging was was certainly a, a hotspot for me. And that's what I applied to Enterprise for. And through that inter- that interview process, they had somebody else internally decide, "Hey, I want to I want to go do I want to go do this messaging architect thing." And Enterprise is big about promoting from within, so they were going to give him that job. But they reached out to me and brought me in for you know I think it was my third interview. And um, uh, Bob, who had, was just a great turned into a great mentor over the years, said to me, he said, "You know, we don't have this job anymore, but we really like you and we think you would do great in this area." And at the time, they were just starting to do broad-based vulnerability scanning with Qualys and was returning just a huge amount of results that nobody really knew how to organize or, or shape up or, or even communicate to the teams and, and how to go solve all these things. And they said, would you be interested in that? And I was like, you know what? Yeah. And, and it was just one of those things that, like over the years, I've just got very good at like when opportunities present themselves, it's like, you know, default to yes. And um, that... Uh, you know, enterprise here in St. Louis is just a fantastic employer. So it was a good place to get into. And um, I think vulnerability management was a great place to start because it was such a hard problem to solve. But that's what attracted me to it. Like it's this hard problem to solve. It's this puzzle. You've got to work across the organization. You have to convince people to do things that they don't really want to do. So it was a, it was an exciting space for me. And that's, that's, that's why I liked it so much. And I, it just turned into a career from there and snowballed. It's really interesting how that, uh, how that happens. Yeah. Super inspiring. And I yeah, just love the Love the idea of take, saying yes to opportunities and saying, actually, this is something that I uh, that may fit. And um, yeah, yes, and I wonder what I wonder what else I can do. So, like, you started your own company, you built built that up, but you've also like realized just how important it is to so to build up that culture and make sure that like yeah, you're treating people right. But I suppose it, culture is such an important aspect of information security today. I know it's something that you've talked about in relation to QuickBase, but I also know it's something that like I didn't realize until we got our first couple of like large universities. It's so important because the diversity of yeah, the diversity of the population uh, in the departments, the health healthcare, all that sort of stuff in universities is really hard. How do you go about or how do you think about culture and how's your I suppose how's your journey affected that? Yeah, the um, and I I was fortunate here at QuickBase, uh, especially with the technical teams. They were already very security minded. Um, the leadership was very security minded from the CEO on down. Um, some of my very first conversations with CEO, CFO was amazing. I was like, I was like, well, this is this this actually might be really easy, you know, at, the, at that point because you're not having to influence uh, as so much the executive staff. So that was really good. But then you you think about a broader, right? You think about the the entire organization. You know, for most people, security is not the primary factor in their job. 
Um, but that is also what makes them the most vulnerable to especially social engineering attacks. And then when you think about technical staff and, and like any tech company, you know, you've got turnover, you've got new people coming in, people going out, that kind of thing. You always want to make sure that people approach their jobs in a secure way. And so how do you set that tone? So there's there's the, the things everybody does or, or should be doing, you know, we on, on day one, when you have your, your employee orientation, you, you're getting a good education. It's not just one slide. We're, we're spending 20, 30 minutes talking about security and we're talking about it in a, a way that means it's meaningful to an individual, you know, regardless of your job function and kind of some of the base things that we talk about doing. But we also explain the why, you know, why it's so important to authenticate in this way and why we do things this way, why it's so important to use, uh, you know, that your your QuickBase provided asset to, to do your work and and why we, we why we require that and, and enforce that. So helping them understand the the why behind that, and then of course the other side of that is you know continuous uh, security awareness type training, brief yeah. hits, very focused, targeted topics. The, the worst thing in the world is 30 minutes of security awareness training. So, you know, we do these very quick hits, rotating topics, fishing training, that sort of thing. We try and keep them fun and light and, and not punitive in nature. Um, yeah. And that keeps that, that, that interest going uh, over time. And it really builds awareness. So building that muscle memory, which is great. The other side of it is, and we talk about this a lot in my group, My the goal for my group is to be great partners. Um, yeah. We are in the unfortunate position that we often have to go to another group and explain, you've got this vulnerability, which is really a defect. People don't like to hear the software that they wrote is, has a defect. Um, you know, we have to talk about systems, may, you know, they're, they're not passing, you know, our security checks and that sort of thing. So we have to help them uh, do that sort of thing. So how do we not tell people what to do? but show them how to do and help them understand why. And that's a, that's a shift for some security folks, right? Like, like we're a pretty direct crowd. So it's uh, setting that tone uh, as a CISO, as a person that's responsible for this, uh, we're going to approach our job in a very empathetic way, but also uh, with the right level of velocity and the, and the right level of priority, you know, being empathetic in your approach doesn't necessarily mean that you deprioritize the work. Um, so getting that balance right. And then you suddenly turn the culture around where I'm, I, I like to think that sometimes I'm a much different CISO than most people have had previous interactions with. Then it becomes a, a matter of now everybody's helping you, right? You know, they yeah. want to help you. They want to get engaged. And that's paid dividends over the years. You know, um, It's not uncommon for people outside of our group to come and say, Hey, we know we've got a problem here and they're, they're, you know, they're vulnerable. They're very transparent with us. And then boom, we, we can help them get to the right level. So. Yeah, I, I love it. It's so important because I'd much rather 10 people come to me and say, hey, I've got a problem and tell nine of them. Actually, no, you don't. You're absolutely fine. Then one person not coming to me or not report that phishing email or not like see something that's suspicious. But as you say, it's so hard for that. Like the people on the front line that who when somebody does something that maybe they shouldn't have done or maybe it was a you know, mistake, they feel that it's like a, an assault on them. It's like, you, yeah, you're, exactly. you're putting me through more work because you haven't been paid attention. But that reaction does not help anybody. It just, yeah, it just force, forces people to clam up, not cooperate. And you want to be a better, ultimately, yeah, that gone are the days of security saying, no, it should be security being a partner to the business, understanding businesses concerns and yeah, working with them to build a better environment. Yeah. A lot of those same lines. What are some of the the measures you think like SecOps teams can safely and security engage with, I suppose, with other partners. So with third-party vendors or with, yeah, with, with their suppliers or with, with other, yeah, even with, with other like internal departments, what approach have you had, especially outside of, uh, outside of your, like, yeah, your direct work? 
Yeah, to talk through it, like in our direct work, uh, you know, one of the things for us is that I look at those those partnerships. A lot of people talk about vendor management. You talk to vendors and they're like, hey, we really want to be a partner. And they're like, yeah, okay, partner management. And I actually think about it like a level bit above that. You know, um, our partners I look at as key collaborators. I mean, they're part of our team. So I think part of that interaction and that engagement with third parties, whether it's within our group or with uh, any other team in the organization, is really insisting upon like we need to understand that this isn't just some phantom organization that's out there somewhere. Are they onshore, offshore? Are they new or the old? You know, what's their experience in the industry? Well, beyond that, like who owns this relationship? So, like, who's really accountable for that? It's interesting. And again, I've just seen this over the years. How many times a vendor, like nobody really understands who owns that relationship or who's approving the cost all the time. You know, so it's like some of those base things of really understanding like who's the internal owner of this relationship. So that's a, that's a big part of it. And I think when you have that type of personal ownership on the inside of the organization, um, then you start to look at, okay, well, now that, now that I'm the personal owner, I, you know, I own this relationship, I want to get the most value out of it. Like it's, it, it may not be the cheapest solution. Maybe it's not the most expensive solution, Yeah. but you know, I for sure want to make sure it's the most valuable solution. And so having, having that level of, of engagement with the partner and stuff and, and understanding that named resources at, at that partnership really helps that along. So, you know, getting beyond all the regular third-party risk management stuff and everything that, you know, is is essential to, to have robust within an organization so that, you know, you you really understand some of those gaps and and that you understand how access is provisioned. You know, if, again, and key collaborators, you know, they probably have access to the solution. They, they may have access to internal resources. So are we confident they're working in this as secure a way as we would? Um, so those are those are some of the important points about like really keeping that a good solid partnership that really becomes mm-hmm. a key collaborator and and really should should operate as an extension of your own team. Yep. And I think I think that's some of the best things you can do. That's definitely the nicest compliment that we've ever gotten as a uh, as a vendor is when somebody says, "Oh yeah, we think of them as an extension of uh, of our own mm-hmm. team." It's um yeah, I would love to love to keep keep on getting that. I suppose uh, along those um Along those same lines, like when you, when it comes to compliance, I suppose, how are you thinking about that? How are you thinking about ensuring that partners and ensuring that you're matching those uh, those standards? I think a lot of the time, SecOps folks are purely focused on like the the thing that's burning. How do you approach the challenge of like actually, hey, we we've got long term projects as well, and we need to we need to up the standard and we need to maintain a certain level and reach these obligations up here. Yeah, you know, and and compliance for me, like that's really like like level one on yeah. security. Like it's it's like we can do nothing or we can be compliant. So okay, now we're at level one. So you know, I think any good third third party risk management program is looking for those compliance standards, like a SOC two or something like mm-hmm. that, for companies that are early, you know, early stage. That that a lot of times is very difficult. They just haven't been around long enough to do like a SOC two type two or any sort of advanced certification. So, you know, that's, that's sometimes a challenge and um, you have to, you know, be willing to implement compensating controls because you can't guarantee that they've got everything uh, kind of in the right order. So that's, that's certainly part of it. I think the other part of it is, is really around risk management um, thinking through like, okay, we want to interact with this vendor. What risk do they provide to the organization? You know, what kind of access do they have to either our data, our systems, um, uh, intelligence about our company, and then how would we expect that they pr- protect that? So sometimes it, for us, um, particularly, you know, we, we may have to work with earlier stage companies or something, because if you're going to support innovation, that's just what you have to do. Sometimes it's, okay, well, we're going to onboard those external resources 
much like they were a QuickBase employee, we're going to make them use QuickBase assets, so hardware, that kind of thing. So I think I think that helps. I think the the other side of that is really getting beyond compliance. Uh, again, is looking at uh, reputation, what controls they have in place, you know, and that's again where personal relationships matter. You know, understanding what they provide, how they provide it, and having the the technical staff that can dig into the details there and really understand it thoroughly. Um, that's I'm a very technical CISO. There's um, that's just you know because of my background. But being a technical CISO or not, I have a very good technical staff that is able to talk to a vendor, talk through their setup and how they interact with things with uh, automation and that sort of thing. You know, they're they're touching a lot of systems, so you got to be you got to be really confident in what they're doing. But uh, fortunately, I've got the staff that can that can really dig into the details there and understand where where the risk is and and how we can mitigate it. Yeah, we're fortunately in a like in a position to be like working with really smart teams and automating a whole lot of different processes but as you say that yeah it leads to a whole lot of challenges where yeah we've got access to a lot of sensitive credentials um yeah. and as a result yeah we um from the very start we're told you're uh you're gonna have to uh gonna have to have all these controls in place here uh in place yourself i want to go back and related to automation but you you, you kind of touched on the idea that um, you said that anytime a security control requires a person to make a decision, that ultimately that's going to be a weakness and it will fail at some point. And you said automation is a good solution to this. Can you dive into that a little bit more? Where do you see, how do you see that working? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to reference one of my favorite movies here, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Oh, brilliant. And it, it, yeah, it kind of goes back to that speech Alec Baldwin gave um, and, a, you know, AIDA, um, attention, interest, decision, action. Yeah, yeah. And I, th- I think especially in security operations, you know, you think about humans and that's what has to happen, you know, in that order. Like, like how do we get a, a, a SecOps engineer's attention? Are they going to express the right amount of interest that we want every single time? Um, then they've got to make a decision and then they've got to act, right? Well, the reality is we're all human and things happen in our life or things are happening at work. Or we're being given, constantly given other responsibilities and that sort of thing. So we can't always count on that that attention and that interest is going to happen at the level it needs to happen. It's automation. We absolutely can. My other thing about automation is the things that tend to lend themselves to automation are also the things people, humans, don't like doing. Yeah. Um, you know, and that that can be as simple as just, you know, credential rotations for, for service accounts, that type of thing. That was kind of the original example I used way back. But the reality is, you know, my AppSec engineers don't want to go take a vulnerability from one system, figure out what team owns that, that, that system, figure out the reporting structure, and then start doing regular communications and escalations and, and create Jira tickets and all that sort of thing. They don't want to do all that. Like that's not, that's not fun for anybody. Plus it puts them in a position of, again, having to be the bad guy. Hey, you've got a defect here. You got to go fix it and that type of thing. All of the, all of that, all of that can be automated in no code environments. And it takes time. I mean, you know, you have to build build that out. You have to think through yep. all the workflows and stuff. But that's actually fun. I mean, that's engineering work. Um, and that's yeah. that's fun work. And one of the rules that we have within our group, and I, I've, I've, I've used this with various teams throughout the years, is every time you execute on a task, you should ask yourself, what can I do today to never have to do that again? Like continually be working yourself out of a job. 
And, and that's how you're going to grow a career. You know, a lot of my folks have CISO as a career goal. And I'm like, that's how you, that's how you build your career. You keep working yourself out of a job. And when you're doing these repetitive tasks that you don't necessarily like doing, or even if it's kind of okay to do, like get that out of the way. Like, how do we automate that? How do we get that off of our plate? And then we can focus on the things that actually make our, make our jobs interesting. Yeah. They're, they're never the creative ones. They're always the, they're always the boring processes that yeah. nobody had, that nobody likes, but actually automating the processes yeah. is creative and, and it is fun. Yeah. And I want to double down on that a little bit because it's not only better for us, but the teams that are now receiving on the receiving end of this automation. 100%. Every single time it's consistent. Like, so we took the, the human difference and and how we structure tickets and how we, you know, um, structure what to do and what's important and the criticality and all that. We've taken a lot of the, the differences out of that. So every time they open up a ticket from us now, it looks exactly the same, even better. We've taken the automation to a level where it's not one vulnerability it becomes one escalation because that's terrible. Like we're actually communicating the why through automation. So they're, it's like if you if you update this one module, you're going to fix this many criticals, this many mediums, this many lows as all one ticket, and they know exactly what they have to do and, and what the value is in doing it. And that's that that's huge. I mean, that's amazing. Uh, absolutely, and yeah, you can explain the reason behind it, explain the SLA, explain what what you should do. But like th- those resolution steps that you can provide, like oftentimes your your qualis will tell you, "Hey, this is what you need to do to remediate it." And if you can provide them in a consistent manner, you're making security a communications problem rather than a uh, a technical problem or people a uh, people problem. And um, yeah, it makes everybody's life a lot more fun. Uh, we're very careful that we try to say, you're not automating yourself in like out of a job, you're automating yourself into a better job. Like there's no such thing as somebody like, or I've yet to meet a CISO. It's like, you know what? Uh, we've got our work done. Yeah. It's like, we can all go home. There's, it's really, uh, it's really like, Hey, you're going to be working on more, more interesting, more yeah. interesting projects. So yeah, there's, there's never an end of the work. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. When you were in the MSP, you definitely dealt with automation, but you've seen like automation and you've seen security operations evolve dramatically over the last 20, 25 years. How would you describe the state of security operations today? Um, I think we're in really good shape. Like, like it's, and I, there's, there's a lot to that, but, you know, I think his, as let's go back 10 years you know, mm-hmm. everybody was thinking about the sexy knock with the, you know, panes of glass and, you know, I don't know pew, if you pew. remember back, but the, the pew pew screens yeah, and all that Norse stuff. Maps, yeah. yeah, all that type of stuff. So, you know, that was, that was all interesting and exciting to see and that kind of thing. But, you know, was it really that functional? Uh, we've gotten to a point now where we can be so much more effective with so fewer resources. Um, you know, there's, way more jobs than there are people to do those jobs. Um, I was at a conference last week and I mean, they threw out a number, something like there's 3 million open cybersecurity positions out there that are not filled right now. It was like, it was like a million two, uh, two years ago. And it, it just keeps evolving. So we've got to get more efficient. I mean, at, at some point you just are not going to find enough people interested in the job to, to go fill all the jobs. So we've got to be more efficient at doing it. Um, and that's, that's what, that's, I think what we've seen over the last over the last two years in particular is that, and I think COVID had something to do with this because we had to figure out how to automate and get people working remotely. And I think that yep. caused, uh, caused us to accelerate a lot of, a lot of capabilities, but that, uh, so the ability to automate and like, uh, make someone much more effective because they're not having to do those manual controls. Um, we have a lot more capabilities there. Um, the, uh, the interesting thing is, you know, 
we've been hearing about AI in the security operations space for I'm sure a good seven, eight years now. Mm-hmm. And I've always rolled my eyes every time I saw AI yeah. on a marketing deck because I because I was like, I was like, you know, your your scripts are not AI. That's not how I think about AI. I will tell you in the last year, I really like AI is legit. Uh, yep. that's, that's definitely the next evolution. Um, you know, again, kind of back to that key collaborator. That's how I think about AI, um, um, you know, generative AI and such is it, it becomes a key collaborator and much like a self-driving car, you know, you've got to, you've got to, you've got to pay attention, you know, you're, you're the human at the keyboard, you know, ultimately the decision is yours. Um, and, and the, the ability to fact check and the need to do that is yours as the human. Um, but it is at that, that, that is definitely the next generation, the next evolution in, in security ops. But I, and I think um, a lot of what we've done around automation and around third parties, MSSPs, growing in their capabilities and, and their efficacy, um, again, back to being key partners and such, um, is, uh, has been tremendous for the industry. Because look, at the end of the day, you know, QuickBase is a no-code provider um, of you know, business workflow automation and that sort of and, and, and such. Um, wickedly fast database. That's our key capability. That's what we're good at as an organization. And that's what we need to make sure our customers do wonderful, you know, do well and do safely and such. But when it comes to things like security operations, that sort of thing, that's not what we're experts at. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know that we, we could we could build a a, a a knock with you know twenty security engineers constantly watching panes of glass twenty four seven. But the efficacy of third parties uh, of of vendors and and how some security vendors are integrating very well with one another and cooperating yep. uh, has made that so you know my internal security operations folks working with external security operations folks and our key partnerships that have really become those those collaborators on how to work uh, as efficiently as possible has been has been tremendous. I mean that's way beyond where we were just ten years ago. So that's that's been great to see. Yeah, that's it's really uh, it's really good to hear. Really positive that as was the state that we're in. If you're looking at the future, obviously AI is a big part of it. But where, like, what do you think a security operations team will look like in five years? I would hope, and I and again, I'm I'm, I'm an optimist, which is a dangerous thing to be for a CISO. Um, <laughs> yeah, I I would hope that uh, where we see the most risk, that that um, kind of those those low bar security attacks really get washed out by operating system vendors, uh, uh, cloud cloud providers, really upping their game so that the low-hanging fruit is not something we're so concerned about anymore. I would really hope that security operations teams, uh, especially internal uh, uh, SecOps teams, um, are operating at a level where we're looking at those complicated targeted attacks um, that come against organizations and certainly come against us. You know, the... Um, those opportunistic attacks where, oh, I forgot to secure this cloud resource or something like that. Those are the things that seem to bite a lot of people these days or, you know, uh, where multi-factor authentication isn't enabled. So, you know, using yeah. passwords, scrape credentials. I would hope like when we see the uh, Verizon data breach report in, in five years, you know, we don't see those type of successful attacks anymore, that, that we've gotten much better at, at stopping those type of things. And that the internal SecOps teams is more about threat hunting, thinking like an attacker, and figuring out how to block those highly targeted attacks that that come against, you know, you know our products, our organiz- organizations in a very unique way. Um, and so I, I hope we get to start defending at that level, because I, I think 
attackers are getting a lot more clever. And I think, unfortunately, getting, you know, again, as the internet reaches more and more parts of the world and broadband reaches more and more parts of the world, that just opens up being a bad guy to uh, uh, more people. Um, So I think that's, I I think we're going to have to get a lot better at, at stopping those targeted attacks. I definitely agree. And I think it's a, yeah, I think it's quite perceptive, but with your experience in the like MSP space, how do you, you've just said that like you have to be more experienced at detecting targeted attacks. How do you think the effect of attacks becoming less commodity and more targeted will affect MSPs who by definition are trying to get, you know, a thousand customers or 2000 customers that are, so they're a little bit less targeted more generic how, how do you think that's going to work out probably not well okay yeah <laughs> the uh you know the the reality is is if you know as we get better organizational controls um you know there's this move to the cloud that most organizations have done um mm-hmm. that's actually kind of if you think about it that's that's just a, a natural way of of isolating the different things that run your business so you become yeah. a harder target right yeah um so then if you're an attacker you start to think about the msps and um you know what are you know do they have privileged access into all their customers um and I, I think what MSPs are going to have to recognize is they've got to start operating in a way where that privileged access is highly managed um, yeah. or eliminated as as a prerequisite for what they do for for their for their customers. Um, so I think you know I, I I think one they need to recognize, and I think we've seen this in the last couple of years of MSPs becoming a a primary target, particularly for nation states. Um, yeah. and then the, the the second side of that really is uh, so if that's true. Um, how do I how do I eliminate myself as that gateway to my broader customer set? Um, and I think they're going to, you know, MSPs will have to be better about, about communicating that. And the most effective way to communicate that honestly comes back to, we're taking the humans out of the equation. We're taking hand-typed credentials, even MFA, hand-typed MFA out of the equation. And, you know, this is how we're doing these integrations in a highly automated, highly structured way. Um, and that provides a lot of confidence of, of, um, safety. Yep. Where, and especially if like, if you can audit everything and say, Hey, the only thing that's happened here, you've got logs for, yeah, nothing, uh, nothing went wrong. And this is, uh, yeah. so it's happened. Yep. Completely, uh, completely understand. I want to ask a couple of like, um, not quite rapid fire, but like, like questions that are com- coming from one or two different, uh, one or two different areas. Um, one is, Mental health. So we talked about like automation. We talked about the fun part uh, of information security, but mental health is a really like huge area in information security as well. Security teams get burnt out all the time. What are some of the things that you're doing in QuickBase or you've done in your career to, I suppose, help deal with the challenge of making sure that your your team uh, and security teams are okay? I think I've done this at every organization I've been involved with for probably the last decade or so. I'm a big believer in figuring out like what are the things people are naturally interested in, and then how do I get them focused on that, and mm-hmm. how do I feed that? Um, so part of that is getting the noise out. So when I came to QuickBase, the team was really everybody was doing everything. Um, there, there was really they had defined titles and and kind of defined areas of responsibility, and maybe a better way to say it is everybody was getting pulled into everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think one of the, one of the things that, you know, that was a challenge here, but honestly, I, I've just seen that everywhere. Like, like people that just kind of naturally gravitate. So getting that organized and then also championing and campaigning and, and getting additional resources in so that you don't have to do that. And then mm-hmm. again, building those key partnerships with external vendors, um, to, to work through that is, uh, is, is very helpful. The other side of that is also understanding that getting people what they're focused on and then getting them the opportunities they need in order to be an expert at that. 
everybody wants to be really good at their job. I'm a, I'm a firm believer in that, but not everybody really knows how to be good at their job, especially early career folks. You know, they may be yeah. naturally gifted or they may have some good, good experience and that sort of thing, but to really get them to the next level requires training. It requires certification. Um, and you've got to, as, as a leader, you've got to prioritize that as one of your, your key things. And that's funny enough. One of the things that we one of the key things we look for um, as we're developing these external partnerships is, do you have a, a online university that our, our team can work through? Do you have mm-hmm. a certification program? Because those are accomplishments. Those are things. And, and then giving you know my folks the space to do that, I open up that space, especially when we have a defined goal. Uh, you know, I, I tell my folks, I'm like, dedicate four hours a week, take a block of time, block it out on your calendar, turn off Slack, turn off email, focus on training. And, and this is our goal. This is, this is where we want to reach in, you know, two, three months or whatever like that. Um, but then they become the expert within the organization. They start to feel like an expert. Yeah. And uh, when you feel that way, when you feel well-trained, when you're working on things that you're just naturally interested in, like one of those mental health concerns start to go out of the way. Um, and again, you know, automating the things you don't like, you know, getting, getting that off your plate, that helps. Incidents, like obviously they, they have a big effect on that, but they also, uh, I'm, I firmly believe that I've learned some of the, I've learned a huge amount of some of the most interesting lessons in my career during incidents and certainly gotten the experience, experience that I would never have gotten and exposure that I've never gotten during incidents. Do you have any, without having to disclose any, uh, confidential information, do you have any incidents that you remember in your career where you learned a lot and you, uh, I suppose you grew as a result of them? Yeah. Um, and you always do. I mean, every, every time you have a security yeah. incident, uh, you know, especially a, a, a bad one where it's some level of, 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 of breach or compromise, um, I'll go way back because it was, it was kind of the first time where it clicked for me, uh, where security really clicked for me. So this would, would have been, you know, the, the mid 2000s, uh, you know, as part of our business, um, we had space in a colo facility and we would host servers for customers. And a lot of those were web servers or web application servers and that sort of, sort of thing. And we had we had a breach happen, like, and it was a defacing breach, right? So the the yeah. the, the customer's website got got defaced and and, and everything like that, and that was that was one embarrassing. I felt embarrassed. It was like, how did this happen? And then we started digging into the server and actually looking at logs and 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 looking through directories and found out not only did they deface the website, but they were using it, you know, to serve up you know pirated software and that sort of thing. So you know, who knows how much we spent on bandwidth serving up uh, a pirated software side and that kind of thing. So that, that was. Super embarrassing. I, but I think the key lesson was, is I didn't understand scope of the level of problem. So that was my first lesson is like, I, I was in that camp way back then of being in, in the mind, mindset of um, who's going to target our little company and, and our little small businesses that are hosting, like who would target that? And that's where I learned that it's not about that. Like we're, we're looking everywhere, finding out where people are vulnerable. Yeah. And, and that was really my lesson into that. And then the second thing of that uh, was that we needed to be a lot more interested in security, its secure configuration, and this wasn't a problem that could be solved with installing anti-malware software on a system. You know, so that's that's where things started to click for me around secure configuration and continuous improvement and all that sort of thing. Um, and that, and and I think that was the main lesson learned. And then just you know, to to fast forward when that that led me to to ultimately to things like the Verizon Data Breach Report. CIS critical security controls and really understanding how valuable those things are to pay attention to, to thoroughly understand. And so, you know, they just released the 2023 version of the data breach report. That's the thing we read right away in our team, you know, understand where those attacks are coming from. 
and understanding security at a level that's um, important. So I think back to that incident often. And anytime we have even little things come up, I, you know, it's it's always about root cause analysis. You know, don't just correct the issue and, and eliminate it, but really dig in. And I don't really care how minor the issue is. I mean, you know, even if it's a relatively simple, uh, we really, really dig in. And that oftentimes leads us back to continuous improvement. And where did we fail here? A lot of times it's a, a person making the wrong decision. So, okay, how do we remove the person out of this equation so that it doesn't happen again? Um, that's uh, that's that's the number one thing is, you know, and, uh, those human decisions are the thing that bite us more often than not. Yeah, makes sense. Um, what is the number one piece of advice you'd share with others who are leading security teams? Lead with transparency. I think that'd be the number one thing. Um, and that kind of goes back to culture. That kind of goes back to team mental health. That, that goes back uh, to really building a highly mature and effective security program is, is lead with transparency. Um, the, um, you know, it's that, that, that relate, that ability to build relationships, to, uh, network effectively, um, to be a trusted partner, um, Mm -hmm. to either the organization, to the people that are working for you. Um, I think that's important. Uh, the reality is as a security leader is, uh, your only value is your team. Like my value as it, it, the information security department at, at QuickBase, the only value there is my team. Like it's 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 what how they're executing every day. It's how interested they are in their job. Um, it's how they relate to other people. And the way that we build that up is I, I leave the transparency. I, reality is I'm a human too. I'm going to fail. Uh, I'm fallible. And if I'm transparent with my team, if I welcome that transparency back, uh, that feedback back, uh, we are going to grow uh, considerably as a team and, and really operate effectively as a unit. Um, and that, that to me is probably one of the most important things. So just, you know, whether it's, you know, internal to, to my team or external to the broader organization or how we interact with customers, uh, that, that transparency is the number one thing. Uh, lead with transparency. And hopefully people will, yeah, pay it back and give you the exact same, uh, yeah, exact same experience when they're dealing with you as well. Yeah. Um, Rebecca, this was fab, but unfortunately, that's all we're going to have time for. Um, if people want to follow you on your journey, uh, what's the best way to do it? Uh, uh, I'm really only on LinkedIn these days, so you know that's in slash Rebecca Harness. I think I think it's just my name. Um, that's that's probably the easiest way to do that. I I, I don't have a podcast. I really don't tweet. Um, the uh, but if 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 you're if you're an independent security person and you got a podcast and, and you need someone to chat with or talk shop with for for an hour, I'm always available. Hit me up on LinkedIn and we'll get something together. Well, thank you so much for joining, and I look forward to having you on again in the future and listen to you on other podcasts as well. So, thanks awesome. for coming on. All right, thank you very much. Appreciate being here. Thanks for listening to the Future of Security Operations podcast by Tynes. If you enjoyed today's show, please do us a favor and leave us a review on Apple Podcast or your preferred podcast platform. For additional episodes, visit tynes.com slash podcast. And if you'd like to learn more about how Tynes Automation Platform can transform your security operations team, visit tynes.com. Thanks again, and I'll catch you on the next episode.